0: We left off last time talking about the witches, didn't we, and witchcraft accusations. One of our main points there was just to explore further the sort of medieval popular notions of evil and medieval popular notions of the devil and demons specifically. And so we began to see the story of Satan developing in connection with these accusations of witchcraft and the idea of a pact with Satan and the idea of the witch's sabbat, and all kinds of stories sort of developing around these different notions. There's a sense in which that discussion of witchcraft was an example of the internal uses of Satan, wasn't it? Because it's through the inquisitions, uh, sometimes through official church inquisitions, that witches are tried, and it's internal to Christianity in a way. It's Christians accusing other Christians In other words, villagers accusing other villagers within Christian villages, within Christian Europe. Today we continue on uh, some of those internal things, and we'll touch on just a little bit of evidence for external ones where we have Muslims being demonized. Let me introduce the early modern period a little bit, and this idea of demonizing other Christians internally within the medieval and early modern period. And then I'll show you some photos, and then we'll talk about Meadow Simons' writing that you have. The internal use of Satan, sort of language and the story of Satan in order to demonize others is widely attested in the Middle Ages, and especially in connection with the battle with heresies. As in the Church Fathers way back in the 2nd and 3rd century, where we saw the beginnings of this being more fully defined, there's this tendency to, first of all, have a notion of what you think proper Orthodox Christianity is, And for you to think negatively of all other forms of Christianity that differ from that, the tendency among those who have power or who have either intellectual power or actual uh, political power is to actually demonize posing or those different forms of Christianity. And so we see that taking place in the inquisitions that include the witches. But the inquisitions against the Cathars, for example, we talked about the Cathars because Satan's so central to their worldview, but they were among the heresies that were condemned by the Inquisitions, and generally speaking, they're sort of representative of sort of the technique of dealing with these things. And so these heresies would be demonized. The idea would be Satan has caused these other forms of Christianity to arise. They're Satan's work. Demons are making these people deceived into believing. That their idea of what Christianity is correct, when in fact they are wrong. That sort of rhetoric that you'll find in the condemnations of heresies. In a way, the Reformation period is an extension of that. The Reformation period begins in the 1500s, and scholars refer to it as the Reformation because some of these movements claim to be trying to reform Christianity. And out of the Reformation emerges what we have as modern Protestant forms of Christianity. Let me go back a step from there. Early Christianity, there's a diversity of different groups. Eventually, there's sort of winners among those groups that establish themselves as the more powerful forms of Christianity. One form dominates in Rome. The other dominates in the eastern part of the empire at Constantinople or Istanbul. What is it? It's in Istanbul now. And so, quite early on, there's two prominent forms of Christianity that begin to develop, primarily in the period from about 400 on, that those two different branches of Christianity develop. Out of the Western form, we end up getting what is known as Roman Catholicism today, or the Roman Church in the Middle Ages. That's what Europe is more associated with, the papacy. The other branch, centered at Constantinople branches out even further in some ways, Eastern Christianity. You have Eastern Orthodox Christianity in Greece, for example. Russian Orthodoxy, up in Russia, is an extension of this same form of Christianity in the East. And so, generally speaking, what I'm trying to tell you is up to about 1500, there's just two main branches of Christianity, Eastern and Western, with some additional less prominent Eastern forms, Arminian Christianity, Syrian Christianity. Other thing groups that sort of think of themselves as separate from the Constantinople uh, type of Christian, But nonetheless, two main ones and some additional Eastern ones. So you got that picture? But once you get to 1500 and uh, 1519 and after, you have a new branch of Christianity that ultimately emerges, even though that wasn't the attempt, intent of the Reformers. So the reformers begin with Martin Luther, you may have heard of him before, and then others start to take on some of the ideas of Martin Luther, especially the idea of using the New Testament as the basis of reforming Christianity as they understand it. And so there's figures like Zwingli in Switzerland, Calvin in France, and then the Anabaptists that we're gonna touch on in a minute. So there's three main branches of the Reformation. There's three main new movements within this Reformation. Lutheran branch, the Reformed branch, which includes that Zwingli and Calvin in Switzerland and France, and then the Anabaptist or Radical branch. If you could add as another branch the Counter-Reformation, as it's called, in other words, the Catholic Church actually decides let's try and reform things within ourselves in light of all this stuff that's happened the different movements that are part of the reformations become the basis of all modern Protestant forms of Christianity. So they further uh, uh, splinter into all the groups you now know that aren't Roman Catholic and aren't Eastern Orthodox based. So, now I'll explain how demonizing language functions within that context. Something else I meant to already say is just about Antichrist. this, this is another evil figure that's sort of the second-hand man of Satan within the mind of people in the Middle Ages, right? Antichrist. It's a figure that will come at the end times, sort of the opponent of Christ, the opposite of Christ. And how he's depicted in art is actually as a Christ-distorted Christ. Like actually as the, using the medieval notions about Christ is portrayed, but then twisting them and making them looking and looked uh, very sinister. Uh, so he's sort of the literally the Antichrist that will come at the end times and will be helping out Satan in the battle against God. So the Antichrist comes into the context of this demonizing language as well. By calling someone an Antichrist, you're demonizing them. You're saying you're in league with Satan. You are Satan's second-hand man. So what we find in the Reformation period is everyone calling everyone else the Antichrist is the quick way of putting it. As you can imagine, there's already that set up there with the medieval heresies where the Catholic Church might be calling heresy demonic or Satan's work or that a particular leader of a heretical movement might be called antichrist. But those heretical groups can likewise be calling the Catholic Church and the papacy antichrist, demonic, etc. So it's going both ways in, those, in that medieval context we've already referred to. That all continues in the Reformation period. So in a way, the reformers are viewed by the Roman Catholic Church as heresies. And the same strategy that's used with heresies is used with these guys too. Part of the reason they're successful and not totally destroyed is because they also have political help. These reformers, all of them, with the exception of the Anabaptists. Everyone wants to kill them. But everyone else has political support. Luther has prince buddies, Calvin and Zwingli are basically running cities and have the city councils on their side in Switzerland and France. And what begins to happen is the papacy calling Luther Antichrist, Luther calling the papacy Antichrist, Menno Simons calling the papacy Antichrist, the papacy calling Menno Simons, an Anabaptist, the, the Antichrist, everyone calling everyone the Antichrist. You might even start to have Martin Luther calling Anabaptists, other reformers, and Antichrist. And so everyone's demonizing everyone with a similar technique that we've uh, seen already, and that's continuing in this period. Let me show you a couple photos that actually illustrate precisely this thing we're talking about here. So there's a lot of propaganda, is what we're talking about, that are, that's going on in the Reformation period partly because of the remember the printing press is a new thing in what is it 1453 that the printing press is invented so that's actually changes the dynamic of how this demonizing of other people can be propagated right if you think the papacy is league with Satan or is the antichrist or is demonic well you can now draw a picture of it mass publish it and set it out for everyone to see for themselves that the papacy is demonic. And so, this is what we begin to have from the Reformation period that we don't have before the printing press. printing press is in the mid-1400s, Reformation in the 1500s. So, it's, uh, it's partly the printing press that allows the reformations to happen even. It's a major factor in why uh, they even take place. There are six propaganda pieces I want to use to illustrate some of the internal struggles that are taking place in the Reformation period, and to illustrate the use of Satan, the devil, demons, and antichrist imagery in the rhetorical battles that are going on at this time, in this case through art, and often woodcuts that accompanied pamphlets that were handed out with different groups attacking one another. In our case here, most of the six pieces are reformers or people on the side of the Reformation caricaturing and putting down the Catholic Church and the papacy and its structures. And in a couple of cases, it's the Catholic papacy having a bit of a comeback in the internal struggles. The first propaganda piece I would like to look at is a woodcut that depicts the Pope and a Turk as demons dragging their followers into hell. This one is by Matthias Gerung from between 1545 and 1548. It's now in the British Museum. So here's an interesting Reformation propaganda from the side of the Reformers. And what we had here, I briefly mentioned it last time, is, first of all, Jesus and the apostles and some angels up up on top there looking down on this sort of evil situation that's happening on Earth with weird-looking demons all over the place doing weird things and people in and anguish and, and being tortured and, and just bad stuff happening. You then have two main demons depicted here. You have this demon here with the multi breasts and the snake-like tail, as you can imagine, associating it with the serpent and with leviathan. And this demon here. And what I was pointing out to you last time is this actually represents both the internal struggles within Christianity and the external ones that you. to demonizing effect. This demon is wearing a uh, Muslim-style hat of the Turks. Remember, this is a period when the Turks are gaining power and are actually moving towards Europe, and there's a fear that they may actually overtake Europe. They're demonized by Europe as a whole. Just about everyone in Europe. Papacy would agree in demonizing Turks. And the reformers would agree in doing that. In this case, it's a reformer propaganda portraying uh, a Muslim sort of figure as this demon. And then this guy right here has a papacy-style hat on. He's the pope as a demon. So there's the reformer perspective right there, more specific to the reformers. The pope himself is a demon. The second artistic piece I would like to look at is a trickfold depiction of Pope Alexander VI as the devil. And this one is also in the British Museum. By trickfold, I mean there was a pamphlet that opened up in a particular way and folded in a way that transformed a regular depiction of Alexander VI, the pope, into the devil. Attached with this one was an explanation in German that related the legend of this pope's death. Supposedly, the pope had prepared poison to kill someone else, and ultimately he himself drank the poison and was killed. Although this pope predates the Reformation period, the reformers looked back to this as sort of symbolic of what the papacy was like, as sort of the ultimate bad pope, and in this case, the pope as the devil himself. The third piece I'd like to look at is called The Origins of the Papacy by Lucas Cranach the Elder. This one's from 1545 as well. It was printed in Luther's work called The Papacy at Rome Founded by the Devil. The title of that work gives it away. The Pope is here born out of the devil's shit and is suckled by demons. Here is a female demon figure giving birth to what? demon that's either shitting or giving birth to the papacy. Remember that there's the idea of the Antichrist as the offspring of Satan. So this even could be in mind here. Um, The papacy is the Antichrist in this depiction, if that was the case. Medusa-like figure, demonic figure in the background here, suckling another Pope-like high church figure. The demonic man, he's taking care of all the the main leaders of the church. Obviously a Reformation perspective again, right? This is what the Reformers think. The fourth propaganda piece is actually Catholic propaganda, in this case the papacy, and people on the side of the papacy critiquing the Reformers. In this case, it's titled The Seven-Headed Luther. It's a woodcut by Hans Brosamer, and it was on the title page of a pamphlet by Johannes Cochleus from 1529. Here is an official pamphlet produced by the church, the Roman Catholic Church, showing what Martin Luther actually is. Martin Luther is the seven-headed beast, the Antichrist. Now, the seven-headed beast of Revelation, by the time we get into the Middle Ages, is already identified with the Antichrist figure. Anyhow, he's got many heads. including Barabbas as a head. Barabbas, the the robber that gets set free and and Jesus is executed. But he's got seven heads, and he's sitting there reading his own Bible there, interpreting it for himself. This is the, the way that the Roman Catholic Church saw the problem with the Reformation, is that they gave up the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. In other words, the tradition of how to interpret the Bible. Instead, the idea of some of the Reformers is we need to go back to the Bible for ourselves and reform things based on the Bible. Then the problem within that is every reformer thinks the Bible says something different and that's why you end up with different branches of the Reformation, right? And and I think the seven heads on top of being saying that it's the Antichrist and the Beast that Luther himself is that is also saying how confusing his interpretation he's basically got seven ways of reading the Bible rather than the one true way of the Roman Catholic Church. The next piece we're going to look at is likewise some propaganda from the Roman papacy side. This one is titled The Devil with a Bagpipe by Erhard Schoen. This one's from 1530. Here the bagpipe itself is a caricature of Martin Luther. The devil's got a good bagpipe here, and the bagpipe is the head of Martin Luther. Spewing out of the mouth of Martin Luther will be the devil's song. The devil's message is coming through the reformers. It's quite common for demons or devil to have multiple faces either on their ass or on the front as well as their head. The sixth and final piece of propaganda I'm using to illustrate these internal struggles and the use of Satan within them is called On the Birth and Origin of Antichrist. Here there is a naked and drunk pope to Depicted as Antichrist. This one dates from around 1545. Here again the Pope is Antichrist. You're starting to see there's a theme, right? That uh, there's a lot of pamphlets that have survived that show this idea. Here the Pope is totally drunk, drinking something spewing out of the mouth of a demon here, laying there totally naked. The demon's doing various things with him. Another guy being brought in upside down here by another demon. The clerics, the priests of the church here in a big huge vat that the demons are making the drink from. I, I'm assuming that the drink that he's drinking is the smooshing up of the clergy and drinking their blood. Remember, you have the John's Revelation idea of drinking the blood of the saints, and so that could be sort of imposed on your opponents as well. We saw the pictorial use of this. Now let's look at Menno Simons. So this is, Menno Simons is an Anabaptist. He's part of what is known as the Radical Reformation or the Anabaptist Reformation. So the Anabaptists are exactly what their name says. They were labeled that by others, rebaptizers. So what's different about the Anabaptists within the Reformation compared to everyone else, different from the Roman Catholics, different from the Martin Luther type people, different from the Reformed or the Zwingli Calvinistic people, is that they believe in only giving adult baptism when a person chooses to be baptized. So they were labeled re-baptizers because everyone else had the practice of infant baptism. When you're born, you're baptized into the Christian church. And it's more than just that the people don't like them re-baptizing. By suggesting that you do not become a member of the church by being born they were breaking down indirectly the civic structures and the political structures of Germany and France and, and Switzerland. If the civic community isn't defined by being baptized as a Christian as a child, then you no longer have a, the same notions of citizenship. The idea is that the church is also the, the political body. Members of the church who are all baptized in the city of Geneva are all considered Genevans because they were baptized as infants. So this idea of uh, choosing not to be baptized as an infant and actually refusing to allow your children to be baptized as infants and insisting on people choosing when they want to be baptized and wanting to follow Jesus or however they would express it, it was seen as subversive to the point where everyone wants to kill Anabaptists. By everyone, I mean everyone with political power. So the Roman Catholic Church kills them. The Reform movement, Zwingli and Calvin, uh, execute Anabaptists regularly. Martin Luther and the German cities that are influenced by him execute Anabaptists regularly. The favorite mode of execution for Anabaptists, what might it be? Anyone know? Drowning. You want to be baptized, I'll baptize you get. So that was the, the attitude that it was expressed through the execution method. So Menno Simons is an early example of one of these Anabaptists. Not all Anabaptists believed everything the same. There was a diversity of different movements within this context. Menno Simons is the one that is obviously connected with the Mennonites, right? So the Mennonites today name themselves after this guy. You had the reading in which he's replying to a Roman Catholic priest who had written a, a pamphlet condemning the Anabaptists as the antichrist church an example of a Roman Catholic authority uh, demonizing a heresy in his view in this case the heresy being these rebaptizers and in response Meno Simons got a hold of this pamphlet and wrote a response in 1554 and that's what you read So he does this whole writing in response to the Anabaptists being categorized as the Church of Antichrist and therefore as the devilish church. He's now saying, well, I'll tell you how to recognize the Church of Antichrist and guess who's going to be the Church of Antichrist? It's the Catholic Church and even other reformers are to that at various points. So let's look at some of the rhetoric here so that we see how this language of demonizing others works. He begins by saying that it's going to be a comparison, how to recognize the Church of Christ versus the Church of Antichrist. What are the characteristics of the Church of Christ, and what are the characteristics of the Church of Antichrist. And so the whole document goes one by one through some of the characteristics of each on certain themes. But let's look at the very beginning of this writing, under that caption, the Church. Romano Simons is writing this in response to that Catholic named Gellius Gellius complains that we rend the congregation of God desert the church and that we are devilish sects and conspirators so he's recognizing they've been demonized by Gellius and on the other hand he boasts that they gather an abiding church that their church is the true church and that we are the satanic church So he's now explaining that this is the reason why he needs to write and clarify how you tell which is the Antichrist Church and which is the true Church of Christ. See which and what the Church of Christ is and also what the Church of Antichrist is. How long they both have existed, by whom they are, of whom they are brought forth, by what means they are begotten, to what end, of what disposition or nature each one is, what fruits they bring forth, and by what signs they may be known lest he be deceived by the preachers and revile the Church of Christ as a heresy and conspiracy and call the Church of Antichrist the Church of Christ. He's now saying that Gellius has mixed them up and he's going to explain how it should be the other way around. He then begins by saying, what is the community of God? And he says, the assembly of the pious. But look on to the description of the Antichrist Church on page 735 at the top the church of antichrist is an anti-christian community or church because they through the intrigue and direction of antichrist the real opponent of christ teach, believe, act and establish a strange worship contrary to the spirit word, example and ordinance of christ all with the appearance of word and the name of christ so the antichrist church will look like it's for the word and for christ but it actually is the opposite He's setting it up, obviously, so that the Catholic Church is the Antichrist here. He then goes on to the issue of the true Church is pious from the beginning, but the Antichrist Church has its origin with the first ungodly men who were inspired with the spirit of the devil, and will be that until the end. For the counter-Church has generally existed from the beginning, side by side with the Christian Church, and was the most numerous. Interesting, this is quite different than the Catholic perspective. You see what they're saying there? That there's always been the Church of Antichrist from the very beginning. And he's quoting from that passage in First or 2 John. And he's saying that in the perspective of an Anabaptist, from their perspective, the Church of Antichrist has existed from the beginning. And that most people have belonged to the Church of Antichrist. Most people who claim to belong to the Church of Christ... Actually, we're always belonging to the Church of Antichrist. So the Anabaptists, what's being represented here is their their idea of the very few true believers are the true Church of Christ. Namely, in their time, the people who are baptized as adults. The vast majority of Christians are in fact not Christians. They are members of the Church of Antichrist. So that's only a precious few people that truly belong to the true church in this Anabaptist perspective of Man of Simons here. So that sets up the ability to say the whole Roman Catholic Church is generally speaking the Church of Antichrist. And that the few Anabaptists who are being persecuted by them are the remnant of the small true Church of Christ that has always existed alongside the main giant Church of Antichrist. See how this uh, rhetoric is working? And he says the majority have degenerated into open Gentiles and idolaters. Although in sham they have themselves called Christians. People who are claiming to be Christians, but are uh, something else. On page 736, he goes on the idea of the Church of Christ is of God. And then the other one is of the evil one. I'm partway down 736. On the other hand, it should be observed that the Church of Antichrist is of the evil one. Even as the Lord said unto the Pharisees, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth. He's quoting from the Bible, etc. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. The Lutherans in that come up a little more clearly on the opposite page, 737. On the other hand, the church of Antichrist is begotten of deceiving seduction through the spirit of error. He quotes Paul. And then he goes on to talk about what is it that blinds the Germanic peoples today? The German area is where Martin Luther is gaining dominance, the form of Christianity of Martin Luther, and here it's being condemned. What keeps them in their ungodliness, if not the frivolous doctrine of the preachers, the miserable infant baptism, the unscriptural idolatrous supper? They have a different view of the Lord's supper and the neglect of the Lord's ordinance of the ban as practiced by the apostles, etc. He ends up with talking about Babylon the whore and the material from Revelation there to support his point on 742. You can look at that later. So interestingly enough, some of the language that used to be used for outsiders, so back in Revelation, back in the first century, Babylon the whore is a demonizing of an external power. Now, partly because the the uh, idea of Rome as the place where the Catholic Church is, and the papacy is, you can use that for internal battles, that passage. And say, actually, Babylon the whore is Rome, yes, but Rome, the Roman papacy. And, and so that's what's being indicated there, and it's associated with the dragon of Revelation. So he sort of it, it interprets Revelation in a particular way, doesn't he? The passages you are familiar with. So that's the sort of thing, that's just an example of the sort of thing that's going on internally in the development of ideas of Satan and the use of Satan.